Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys a recap on the Thunder Indiana Pacers game and if I sound quiet again and if the audio may not be uh, at tip top shape it's you know it's because I'm still trying to transition we're gonna have it set in like a week so just bear with me but um, hopefully you guys can get past that for the next couple of episodes but just getting right into the game OKC versus Indiana this is one where just like the last game you know, the expectations are kind of uncertain because you don't have Trey Mann, you don't have Josh Giddy, Grant Gibbs was not coaching in this game, and Cameron Woods, who had his first professional head coaching gig, and the last one comes back for a second, and they're playing up against the Indiana Pacers. And the one good thing that came from this, whenever you're looking at who was in, who was out on these teams, Indiana, they were not playing Goga Batadze, who even though I don't see him as like an elite guy, maybe in a summer league situation, he'd probably be posting like double doubles all over the place. But, you know, just a big man. It's good that he's out. The big dude that I saw being out of this game was O'Shea Brissett because O'Shea dominated Moses Brown at the G League level. And their one game, I think both of them scored really high, like 22 plus for both of them. But even at the NBA ranks, you know, when we're talking the Pacers, you know, tallying their franchise high on the Thunder, O'Shea Brissett was shutting down Moses Brown. He had a lot of people concentrated on the paint. And even though he's six foot seven, he can play a lot taller than uh, what it reads on that scorecard. And then also just his offensive game. I mean, he has a really good three-point shot. And you don't really see that all that often from the center position. Like, obviously, it's kind of growing more, but he's kind of that ideal small ball five, especially in a game such as this one. So that was good to see him out, but you do have to keep in mind, I mean, the Pacers still had a decent bit of talent, and one of them was Isaiah Jackson. I know a lot of Thunder people wanted him, you know, 16 and 18. It was rumored in early July that the Thunder had promised Jackson, he slid down to, I believe, pick 22 or 23 is one of those, but he got past the Thunder uh, regardless. And they also had Chris Duarte, who they surprisingly picked up in the lottery this year, even though he's 24. So he was getting run in the starting unit, had a couple other guys on that bench, but, you know, it was still kind of sided towards the Pacers. I'd say, you know, it, it was a bit better though with, you know, the departure of O'Shea Brissett. But anyways, when you started this game out, Indiana, they got right to it. Isaiah Jackson went right inside, had a putback, as well as just a straight-up jam. And Chris Duarte, he was able to pull up with his own mid-range to put them up a bit. But the Thunder, they had a three-point shot coming from Aaron Wiggins, a 27-footer. And then Charlie Brown Jr. even, uh, he got in. He had the starting gig for the second game in a row. He had a quick tip in. So it was only 6-5 to five when, when you're watching this game, especially in those early minutes. It looked like Indiana just had the Thunder's number, but it was still relatively close based off of that. And then you kind of got into this cold spell where no one was hitting shots. 6-5 to five was really just where you were at for a good amount of time. And a lot of it had to do with what OKC was doing. You know, they were missing their shots, but also there were a lot of turnovers kind of piling up for them. They had three turnovers in the first five minutes, 
and it gave Indiana a lot more possessions and kind of that golden ticket as to taking over the quarter. And, you know, they didn't necessarily take it, but, you know, the opportunity was there. And once the Thunder kind of cleared up from the ball handling issues, they started going to the three-point shot. They started going to the interior. It wasn't going in. So when you thought they had this beautiful, like, rain check almost with the turnovers, OKC dropped the ball again, and Indiana had another chance because out of their first 15 shots, OKC hit just three of them, and then they went one of seven from downtown. So it really wasn't good in those first seven minutes. For the Pacers, they weren't doing all that well either. I mean, you're looking at the Thunder's numbers, shooting 20%, having all these turnovers, They only had nine points by that point. Indiana only had 15, so they weren't shooting well. They did have that six-point lead, but it kind of came with a grain of salt, and it really just got rolled over, and they were still up. They were up 15 to 14 at the end of the first, thanks to a Rob Edwards dunk, actually, and then Jeremiah Robinson Earl off a pick-and-pop. He nailed a triple, but This was one of the lowest scoring contests I've seen through the first 10. It might have been the lowest scoring in Summer League to this point, only 29 points combined. I know there was like a single digit quarter for one of the games (laughs) um, yesterday, but you know, I still think the Thunder would be in contention, obviously. But anyways, going into that second quarter, this is when you look towards the bench mob and they've kind of converted every single game of the summer league and to start it out Josh Hall you know he made a pretty good move he had a double clutch layup kind of like that Hamadou Hamadou Diallo type shot where it's like you know he hits that initial contact he's at the apex of his jump but he still wants to just sit there he kind of is like parasailing down and once his man drops that's when he puts his shot up beautiful bank kind of hit strong on the front iron but it popped back in so they got their first lead of the game off of that when truthfully it didn't feel like they were in the game at all through the first 10 minutes and they made it even better because Rob Edwards he was being pretty pesky he got to the foul line and stuck both of his free throws in so they got the lead not once but twice because there was a bit of a lead change in there but they were looking good And they were able to kind of clamp down on their lead. It got up to two, and it just settled there. And they were kind of right, you know, they were right where they needed to be. Uh, But then Charlie Brown Jr. was getting a bit sloppy with the basketball. And I mentioned the tip-in he had. That was about all we saw from him in the first. And in the second, a lot of those turnovers came back. But it really centralized through... Charlie Brown Jr. and kind of what he was doing. So he had just a traditional like mid-play turnover. That's fine with me. You know, you can get a pass there. There was an easy layup on one end for the Pacers. Charlie Brown Jr. is looking to inbound it. And it wasn't like a Kevin Love type of throw in where he just drops it and like walks away. You know, he tried lodging a pass in, but it was deflected easiest two points of I think Skyke's life I think that's the guy who put in the layup but yeah it was just really easy for them to kind of get past that and they got a 7-0 run off of it to take that lead back and then OKC they were trying to get that momentum back they actually did they had five consecutive points to tie it at 26 but then the Pacers got hot again so they had that 7-0 streak they actually doused that down with an 8-2 streak to get back up six points and then the thunder they were kind of you know in that territory where they were almost down double digits and they kept trying to push it off and you know you had 
even Jalen the Q coming in to help out. He kind of came in with two immediate buckets with him. We never saw him in the first three games, and I was a little surprised as to why. You know, this guy did have kind of a big name these last couple years, but he got time in, got two really nice penetrations, and it looked like everything was good. They kept holding him off until literally the final play where Chris Duarte, he pulls up, he hits a three, and Indiana goes up 43-32 to at halftime. Indiana closed that one out on a 7-0 streak. So all these little mini runs of theirs just tallied up to put them really up in the driver's seat with those extra 10 points in the quarter alone. And OKC, they really didn't have one particular person they could fall back on as they did with maybe like a Rob Edwards or a Teo in some of these earlier games. You know, when you check out where their points were coming from, Point spread was nasty. You had two guys who had six points in this first half. That was as high as you were going to go individually. And that came from Rob Edwards and it came from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And Rob Edwards was not shooting that well for the first half. Jeremiah Robinson Earl was doing all right. Um, But a lot of it actually came from the foul line with them because they just were not making shots in general. They shot 12 of 34 overall, that is 35.3%, and then when they wanted to go to three, it was even worse. 11.1% of their shots were dropping. They went two of 17 from that zone, and it was just not much. You know, there were not really any set plays that were getting them open, no money makers, just kind of out there in the half court trying to pass over and over. Sometimes there was no passing. Sometimes you just see like a post shot from Charlie Brown Jr. on the baseline. Like guys were trying to take control and they were trying to get their points. And I totally understand it because you're in a summer league situation where, you know, some people say like it doesn't matter. If you're dominated in the summer league, it, who cares? Like if I'm a GM, it shouldn't matter. It definitely matters to these guys. If you're dropping 50 points, and obviously that's an exaggeration, but if you're dropping like 30 points over five games, someone's going to pick you up and that's going to be that. You don't let someone just sit there. You know, an Exhibit 10 scoring 25, 30 points against, you know, some of the better teams in the Summer League, they would they would get some traction. So I think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody wanted to have that one shiny moment and it just kind of passed away for everybody. So with that... Indiana, they took control, and they only had to really look towards one guy for points, and that was Chris Duarte. He didn't have to play most of this first half. He was just kind of in and out two quick times in the first half, but he made him count. Dude had 14 points by halftime, and he was shooting 5 of 11 from there. His pull-up was ridiculous, super smooth, and even driving inside, he was not really backing down from everybody. I forgot what I had him on my big board, but... You know, he's definitely changed my perspective a lot. He is ready to go, and he showed that in the first 20 minutes. And OKC, they didn't. So they just needed to put up a lot of points extremely quickly. But the first play of the second half, almost like similarly to how Kuminga just had like two ferocious dunks to end both halves in the last game or against the Warriors. You had Isaiah Jackson just stroll right into the paint for the opening drive, and it kind of just set the tone a little bit, but OKC found their life jacket, and they found it through Jalen Horde and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So that first initial Jackson bucket kind of seemed like it put it away because uh, it got up 13, but then you had Horde and you had JRE 
we know how JRE is. He can kind of hit from anywhere. You know, he's not going to be pulling up. You kind of need to set things up for him. But if you put him in the right situation, he's going to hit. You need a guy like Teo or Rob Edwards to be that self shot creator, though. And Jalen Horde was the guy who did that. Now, he's not like a ball handler type where he's going to take you from the timeline, pull up, drive on you. That's not his game. He's going to need setups. And you saw a lot of setups of Jalen Horde, and he actually nailed two consecutive threes in this game. And this was kind of an oddity. Like when you check what he did with the OKC Blue, his best three point game was shooting two of four. And even with the Thunder, like he was not, he was just not hitting shots. If he was open in the corner, he would just kick out or he'd drive in. You know, when he took the three, it wasn't dropping. He was shooting probably below 30%, maybe even below 20% from distance leading into this game. But he hits two top of the keys. I think one of them or even both were just nothing but net. So he was looking really smooth in that area. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl got in right below the basket to kind of help out. So you had 10 of those 13 points coming from Horde, had those two threes, obviously. And he had a turnaround, which kind of came out in left field for me. Had just an interior shot, which is where all his points just tend to come from. But he branched out and it paid off. So the Thunder, they had that little kick necessary to get back in this game because it was down to single digits again. But... An Indiana timeout kind of gave them some cold feet, and they just could not really get back into it in the frame, so they squandered it. The Pacers had a 13-5 closing run. They were up 17 points, 67-50, to going into the final 10 minutes, and... I mean, that was kind of that was kind of the story here. I mean, every single frame, you see these last-second pushes from the Pacers to kind of cement themselves in a really good position, do it again, got to make a 17-point comeback. That would have been probably their biggest comeback we have seen maybe since that Celtics game. I feel like I might be wrong, though. Like, I thought that was neck and neck. It's been, like, a good, like, four or five months, though, since we've seen a a double-digit comeback. You know, the Thunder were always close last year, but they never got it done. This was their opportunity to kind of sway odds back in their favor, and, um, you know, it just didn't go that way. Indiana immediately strolls out to a 20-point lead, snowballs to a 25-point lead, and then it's just garbage time. And instead of, you know, putting all the starters in, trying to make that comeback, Head coach Cameron Woods actually elected to put in some of the lower usage guys. So the LeCues, Emmett Williams, who got his debut in the fourth quarter, which I thought was actually a pretty good gesture. Like, you kind of got to play everybody if they're on your summer league team. So he had a lot of the bench unit out, just trying to get them reps. I think Ryan Woolridge was in there too. So I was pretty excited to see that. But, you know, they couldn't really get any sort of spark. They had some shots here and there, but just wasn't meant to be. And for the Pacers, they had their second unit out there, but just like the first unit for them, they were just lighting it up from really all areas. So you just see threes raining down and the bench could not really adjust to that. So at its worst, kind of went into the thirties. But yeah, I mean, you saw a lot of high percentage looks for the Pacers. For the Thunder, really what they were doing, they were just trying to slash inside and they were kind of getting rejected. Like it was getting pretty physical in the paint, but there would just be constant calls. Like in the final, maybe four minutes of this one felt like an eternity because anytime the Thunder wanted to drive in, there would be contact. They would miss the shot, but they'd always get two trips to the line. So 
I know the Pacers bench, they were really unhappy about it. Like Dwayne Washington Jr. looked like he was cussing out the ref or something. Like I thought action would have been made against him. Nothing was, you know, just got it over with. But yeah, I mean, the Pacers, they ran away with it just like they did last year in the regular season. They saved their best for last. They were up 34 points to end this game and they took it away 95 to 61. Biggest thing I took away from that second half and that comeback, not even a comeback, just them blowing this one out of the water. There was a 21-3 stretch you saw within the third and fourth quarter. So that kind of just told you everything you needed to know. You know, you take that out, it's anyone's game. But there was just little connection amongst the group, kind of from start to finish in this one. So they took it. 2-2 2 and 2 record to close things out for the Thunder. They're 1 and 3. They're going to take on the San Antonio Spurs in their closer on Monday. But Indiana, you know, they have a lot of stuff to look forward to moving on into their next one. And when you want to look at what the Pacers did, really you look towards Chris Duarte. He played for 25 minutes of this game, had 19 points on 7 of 15 shooting, shot 3 of 4 from downtown, and hit both of his free throws. So he was just going off from all three levels. You could throw two guys on him, it didn't matter. And look, I knew he'd be a high floor guy. He was the Desmond Bain of this draft class, but when he got picked 13th, it didn't really make much sense. And that was due to the situation in Indiana, like they're not contending at all. And also, I mean, they kind of needed some of those younger guys, like a 19, 20-year-old. I didn't think that was great value there, but he's kind of proven me wrong in the Summer League. And people, you know, that's when they say, well, it doesn't matter because it's Summer League games. I think those same people would probably be saying Chris Duarte is legit off of these four games because he's dropping 20 points all the time, almost gets there with 19. He's just smooth and consistent really everywhere on the offensive side. You can set him a screen. You can let him play on his own. Doesn't have a crazy handle, but it didn't seem to be an issue against the Thunder in this game. And then moving on past that, you have your other first round pick in Isaiah Jackson. They had to trade up to get him. He drops 12 points on 6 of 11 shooting, has 4 rebounds to go with it, and even has 2 rejections. Only real stale part of their starting core came from Cassius Stanley. He shot 2 of 9. But truthfully, it didn't matter at all. You had guys like Kiefer Stikes, who I know they were showing like a card during the game. This guy's played in like six or seven different countries. He's kind of just that European journeyman. He comes over, has a 6 of 10 game, drops 14 points, and has four assists in 24 minutes. And then even when you look towards that second unit, like I talked about, people that I really am not too familiar with, like Terry Taylor's going four of six. Jordan Bones dropping four of seven. I think he's a former volunteer. Might be wrong though, but just consistent people from one through, you know, 13, whoever they're playing, they all contributed to some capacity. And when you look at them as a collective, they shot 46% from the field and went nine of 24 from distance. They didn't have to shoot a ton of threes because the inside game was pretty prevalent for them, but they could still stretch it out there. And I think that's really what kind of crossed up the thunder. Top it all off, they went 10 of 10 from the foul line. So when you were getting physical with them, they were going to make you pay. To go with it, they ended up forcing 19 turnovers from the thunder side. So, you know, yet again, just like they never got comfortable in this game. And then when you want to look at what the thunder did, 
it's all about just being comfortable. There was not one person here who, start to finish, was that guy. And one of the deals that kind of comes with, like, the Frank Jacksons and, like, kind of what we saw from Rob Edwards, I'd say it's a bit different with him because in the last game, I mean, he was hitting shots anytime he kind of wanted to. But in the instance of this team, the only real burst I saw from one person came from Jalen Horde with that, you know, streak where he had 10 of 13 points hitting threes. That's not a consistent part of his game. And because of that, you got those two threes, but then he just wasn't out there anymore. You know, he kind of got his plug pulled past that point. And even though he was still steady throughout, like he shot seven of nine, had 16 points on the game, he wasn't able to contribute all the time. So those 10 points with that burst, that's lovely, but there was no one to kind of come by, support him, and keep that run going. So that's what I saw really here. That was the main deal with me. And it just tells you, it's very telling when you check the actual stats. They only made 21 shots. So Horde accounted for a third of those when and he's really not been known to be the scorer on this group. Uh, and then from three, I mean... Technically, I think it was better than when they played the Pistons, when they went like for 11%. They shot 13.3% here, went 4 of 30. But, you know, if you're taking 33 pointers, I'd probably go with the, you know, below, just like I'll take the 11, you know, if you're not shooting it 30 times. So they kept trying to press the issue. It just never worked out. And like I, like I said, kind of with that fourth quarter, especially. They got to the line a lot, and they had more free throws. They made more than the Pistons, like or the Pacers. What am I talking about? Pacers hit 10 of 10. The Thunder went 15 of 23. So they had their opportunities to kind of cut that lead down, but just did not really capitalize. And then, you know, they really were not working as a unit. You want to check out how they were doing with assists. They had 14 in this game, and it wasn't really spread out. You know, you had six assists from Teo Maladone, and then it drops to guys dropping either two or one. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had two, everyone else had one, so it was pretty nasty when you check out that cut. And just the points too, I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, he's been steady throughout this whole thing, and I think we can kind of make it um make it known now like he'll be able to contribute at least in a bench role like he'll be the Isaiah Roby of this season if you know Isaiah Roby's role changes I I don't know how they're gonna work it but he can play small ball five in spurts like he'll get outclassed just like Roby does but in those like bunches like five or six minutes he can really elevate not just himself but his whole team I mean he had 13 points on four of eight shooting one of three from distance but he had 10 rebounds too so he got a double double finally I know he's been really close lately but he finally hit that margin and then Aaron Wiggins was the final person to drop double digits he had 10 points in this game wasn't all that well from the field though like he shot two of ten in the last game shot four of ten in this one and went one of five from downtown so he's really not been this catch and shoot player like we expected him to be he wants the ball in his hands he's doing pull-ups I'm actually okay with that because I do want to see people struggle I want to see them stretch their boundaries of course but yeah just kind of been in a slump lately maybe he can pick it up in the finale I do think, though, you know, like this is one of these scenarios where they're losing by like 34 and they've had some other double digit losses. I think 
you know, you kind of put some asterisks here, though, because if Trey Mann's playing and Josh Giddy is also out there, that just changes the dynamics of this whole team. And I think, you know, it kind of hurts them that both those guys who really handle the ball, love passing it, them being taken away kind of had to change their play style. And, you know, when they were out there practicing, you know, they were looking towards Mann and Giddy to be those primary distributors. And Dale Maladone, luckily, is that guy for them, even behind Giddy. And man, he might be a better passer than both of them too, to be honest with you. But yeah, I mean, he had six assists, only had two turnovers. So he was pretty good when it came to handling the ball. But in terms of shooting it, he was ice cold. He didn't make a single shot, went 0 of 7. And then he went 0 of 4 from downtown. So he finished his game with zero points, was not able to get to, get to the foul line. And, you know, he's one of those guys who is either really, really hot from all over the place or he's super cold. But luckily, he can always rely on the passing. So he did that. Now, you know, his teammates were not able to hit shots just like him. So, you know, he's not completely out of the water when he plays terrible, but his teammates do need to pick him up when he plays that way. And they just simply did not do that. And when you want to check past the starting unit, now I will mention though, because I haven't, Charlie Brown Jr. shot one of six here. He had that tip in like a minute in and was done. 0 of four from downtown, had five rebounds. This was not a very impressive game from him, and it wasn't impressive from the bench either. And when you check it, Oscar Da Silva, one of six. We've seen a lot better from him. Rob Edwards, and this is kind of to be expected with just how he plays, obviously. He shot 1 of 9 in the game, and he went 0 of 5 from downtown. So going from dropping 23, almost winning the game for you, to having 6, yeah, that's a drop-off. No points in that second half, but I don't think people should be fretting about it. This is kind of what comes with a player like Rob Edwards. This is what comes with a person like Frank Jackson. I'd say Jordan Clarkson in his early stages also played like this. He's kind of more consistent now to where he's dropping 20 kind of casually but you know there are those games and it just was not there for him and then even for a guy like Josh Hall who I really don't think he's in that same category as Edwards I think Edwards on this team kind of has separated himself in terms of a pure blood scorer I think everybody else is kind of a combination Josh Hall's not a perimeter shooter and he didn't really work from there he shot 0 of 1 from downtown shot 1 of 7 overall though so you know, he likes to absorb contact. Just, he was kind of getting stood up, though, by the Pacers' bigs. And you didn't have Goga. You didn't have Brissett. They're still pretty stacked at the center position. Like, with what they were running, Isaiah Jackson, he's a pretty good body. Amita Brema, also, he's able to get pretty physical. I know in the G League, he was one of the better shot blockers and rebounders, I think. But... Yeah, I mean, it just wasn't working out. Ryan Woolridge, he didn't even take a shot. I kind of wish he did. He was one of the more positive players in this bench. Jalen LeCue, he had seven points. He was just trying to attack, and I don't blame the guy because nothing else was kind of happening. Shot two of six, went 0 of four from three. Got to the line two separate occasions, though, and went three of four. And then Emmett Williams... He kind of came in, and I don't really know how to describe him. Like, his play, he was out there hungry, and he looked like, kind of like Deontay Burton. I think he might have actually worn number 30, so that might be why I'm drawing that comparison. But he just gets in there, just like Burton used to do when he was kind of 
pushed to the side for a person like Patrick Patterson. Like, you just go in there, whether it's like two, three minutes. In this case, he only played four. When you step foot on the court, you're just out there with blood on your mind. You're trying to make the posters. You're trying to get a ton of points racked up. And that's what he did. First play, he just slashes in. And it's not even a drive, actually. He probably catches it, like, in between the free throw line to the baseline. So I'll say, like, a solid eight feet out, he catches this thing. Has his defender right you know, under the rim. I think it's Brema, but he takes like one step and then he just tries to soar over him for a posterizer. His frame is like Burton's. He's not this lean dude who can sky up and Burton can. Emmett Williams does not have the vertical. So he gets up there and it's almost like those trampoline dunks where someone jumps on it and then they just don't make the rim, right? He did not get the proper elevation and he just got smacked at the rim. They called a foul, he hit one of the free throws, but you know he was just out there trying to put up points, and like I said, I understand. I think it's one of those situations, especially in the summer league, or the G League, really. I mean, you are kind of on really thin ice, and for every tiny rep you get, you need to you know go a mile with it, and he tried doing it, so you know I think it was a little bit too far uh, in terms of what he can at least do, but, you know, I'm not all that against him trying it. I never really watched him play, so at least I was able to kind of scout him for all those four minutes. Uh, I don't know how we're going to see him in the next game, and maybe if they do opt to go with him, because we didn't see anything besides that one drive, really. Tried going after some rebounds, but that's the only kind of grading I got done with him. So overall, just not a very good night. Talked about the shooting, you know, 30% overall going 21 to 68. They could see, you know, a lot better stuff. And I think they're going to pick it back up. I mean, they have one more game on Monday against the San Antonio Spurs. Not going to find it on ESPN2 this time. I think, you know, with the giddy injury and the man injury, they're not as marketable as they once were. So they're going to be on NBA TV I think the start time is 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. I might be wrong on that, though. So if you are really honing in on checking that out, you might want to search it up. Uh, I'm sorry I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe it is 4 p.m. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.